Hello and welcome back to Stern Chats, a podcast that explores the untold stories of the NYU Stern community. My name is Peter Xavier and my co-host for this episode is Maya Navan. Today's episode is an interview with Stern alumna Doris Dave. Doris is the head of global loyalty marketing at Nike. In that role, she is responsible for global consumer and member marketing, inclusive of all physical and digital Nike channels and consumer touch points. She was previously Nike's head of member growth after serving as a senior vice president of customer data strategy and marketing at the NBA. Before entering the world of sports and apparel, Doris spent over a decade at American Express, where she rose to become the head of American Express Digital. She joins us today to share her experiences and insights. Doris, welcome to Stern Chats. Oh, thanks for having me. Good to meet you, Maya and Peter. Great to meet you too. Um, So we have a few questions for you today. Um, Just to start, you've had some interesting experiences in sports and apparel. So we'd like to know where your interest in this space came from. Yeah, I um, I kind of stumbled in the sports and apparel arena, but I would say that my interest, particularly in uh, basketball and professional basketball, came from uh, growing up as a child in the West Village of New York. Uh, I am the oldest of three um, to immigrant parents who came from Egypt in 1963, and. Uh, we watched a ton of Knicks basketball in my house. It was, uh, you know, one of the easiest sports to pick up, I think, when you're new to the country and it's such a fast paced game. And so um, my family, particularly my dad and me, kind of grew up watching a lot of uh, New York Knicks in the era of Patrick Ewing and John Starks and Charles Oakley. Um, And we're still a Knicks family through and through, um, for better or worse. Uh, And so after, you know, many, many years at American Express, which I loved being in in uh, payments, um, the role at the NBA came up and that was just, you know, sort of a passion for me and one that um, uh, really brought me back to the roots of professional basketball and and the consumption of the game and the sport and just the smiles that it puts on people's faces. And so uh, hence my desire to kind of leave Amex after many years and, and try the media sports space. And from there, Nike became a natural extension as well in terms of um, adding on sort of the retail component uh, to the sports media space and, and thinking about, you know, how to really engage consumers and sort of feeling and doing sport as part of their daily lives. Surprising to you with how Nike connects with its customers once you were on the inside versus as a consumer. Yeah, uh, you know, Honestly, I mean, I feel like Nike is such a beloved brand around the world, no matter who you talk to about the brand, just the instant smile that it puts on people's faces. And and I think that comes from, you know, incredible product, but it also comes from incredible storytelling. And for me, you know, what I didn't say to Peter is that I was a, actually a pretty sedentary child. I was not sort of like active in doing sports myself. I was somewhat of a couch potato. And I think the thing I loved about Nike through and through, and I remember this up till the days of working at the NBA, I remember being out in an all-star game in New Orleans and seeing their equality campaign, is they never really, they never ever shy away from having really difficult conversations culturally. 
Um, and they're just a brand that I feel like really embodies everything to do with diversity and inclusion. And for me, you know, growing up and kind of always feeling like I looked different uh, than the norm in sort of the Americana, that really appealed to me. Um, and, and I still feel that way on the inside of the brand, you know, in terms of, you know, we're trying to really move from, you know, this place of having this amazing advertising in the last 50 years of this brand history and really figuring out how do we then take it to a place of one-to-one, -one, right? And how do we build a direct-to-consumer relationship? But really the tenets of how to get consumers to feel sport and to do sport and how to be inclusionary about it is something that, um, that I feel like still hits home and is still very much true about the brand. You're, you're leading me right into my next question. It's like, you knew what I was going to ask, which is you touched on it, but I, um, I'm, I'm wondering it's sort of in this world that is so saturated with media, some might say maybe noisy or cluttered, um, whether it's with social media or influencer marketing or so many new direct, direct to consumer brands flooding the market, especially during COVID. How mm. do you stay above the noise with Nike's marketing strategy? Um, I think we do it by always putting the consumer and the member at the center. You know, that's something that probably has been a steel thread actually throughout the brands that I've worked for and, and Nike is no exception. I think the notion of getting consumers to and members to feel something with Nike is is something that we care so deeply and passionately about. And, and COVID was an incredible example, right? All of a sudden our fleet of kind of physical stores shut down. Um, consumers were stuck indoors, were unable to um, really participate in sport the way they used to, whether that was going to the gym or playing pickup basketball or, or whatever it might be going um, for walks or runs with friends. And so we, we quickly kind of turned on a dime inside the company to talk about, okay, how do we put all of this athlete and trainer content together? And how do we start exposing it to our members in a way that they could pivot those workouts to do them in, in their house and with their kids? Um, and that was like in a magnificent body of work. I feel like we took all over the world, including into, um, you know, South Korea and Japan and China um, through, you know, long bouts of, of really being in lockdown. And that was just one example, I think, of how we were really able to pivot um, and meet consumers where they are um and try to help them really get through it you know both mentally and physically with with what they could do with nike to actually do sport um and i think that has served us well in terms of just you know getting members to stay loyal with us and, and wanting to come back and kind of again be able to feel and do with the brand yeah absolutely um i'm wanting to pivot a little bit more into sort of what you work on and what you do. Um, walk me through a sort mm -hmm. of typical, but I know it's probably not typical day um, in your shoes, uh, in your job and in your current role at Nike. Yeah, so I mean, I feel like I have the best job in the world, but basically um, I'm in a newly created organization at Nike focused on consumer marketing transformation. And basically my role, you know, if you think about, you know, earlier you were talking about the retail business and 
for those who are in retail, there is, you know, a seasonal hustle and an offense that happens every 13 weeks throughout the year, right? Whether you're talking about holiday or spring or summer, there's always kind of the next set of product releases and kind of programming and um, brand execution. Um, so my role actually is to step out of that seasonal execution and really think about some of the more transformative work that Nike is leading around how to really build a consumer marketing muscle um, in terms of, you know, how do we really understand our consumers deeply in terms of, you know, using our consumer data in a much richer way, shoring up all of our communication channels. So through email and push notifications and in some markets, SMS to really get that one-to-one -one relationship going. And then how do we make sure that our destinations, both physically and digitally, you know, we're really thinking about what the next best action is. How do we make sure we're sending you to delightful um, experiences that really keep you engaged um, with Nike? And so my job is really, it's broad. It puts together kind of what I call people, process, and tools. So a big focus on, you know, digital and technology and data. Um, but really putting that together in a way that's not just about, you know, software or, or you know, the engineering components, but how do we make sure that our, our marketers and our operators are re ready to use those tools, to consume them, to put them in practice inside their everyday life? Um, and so we spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, how do we experiment um, using different channels? How do we think about some of the end-to-end -end journeys? that we want to take a consumer on? How do we truly hold out, you know, a population so we can read whether consumers are responding to, you know, a test versus a control? Um, and then based on those learnings, how do we then, you know, sort of propagate the next version of how each season our offense gets better and better? So I, I would say I'm equally focused on um, you know, ultimately, we're all focused on making sure that the consumers and members feel and do with Nike. But I also feel very strongly that I um, that I think about the marketer, the operator on a day to day basis. And those are, you know, folks who are sitting inside our various geographies, inside some of our key cities like Milan and Tokyo and New York and Los Angeles, and really thinking about how do they program um, how do they program the marketing offense for the consumer? And my job is to really kind of harden that offense for them in terms of giving them, you know, modern capabilities and, you know, perspectives and process and training. It sounds like you have a lot of, on your plate to say the least. <laughs> I think fun. Peter is going to ask you a little bit more about sort of the journey to get there. Um, Peter. Yeah, thanks to the overview. It really helps to understand your work at Nike. Um, but just to take a step back to your time at the NBA. Um, so before you joined Nike, you were the Senior Vice President of Customer Data Strategy and Marketing at the NBA. Um, I'm personally interested because I interned at the National Basketball Players Association when I was in law school. Uh, so oh my on gosh. the player side. Oh, that's amazing, Peter. Yeah, it was a great experience. Um, but I, I didn't work on data like you did. So I'm wondering how yeah. you you leverage data to gain insights into the league's fan base and make decisions. Yeah, so this actually surprised me quite a bit coming from American Express and and even before Amex, you know, I kind of started my 
my career and some of my early internships with consumer packaged goods in data specifically and market research and using qual and quant methods to really understand what makes consumers tick and how to think about their you know their explicit preferences and their implicit preferences and how they shop um and at american express we i mean data consumer data and having that direct to consumer relationship was everything and so it was really powerful you know you can imagine that every time a consumer swipes their american express card right it's like the richness of the information there and how you use it to deepen engagement deepen the relationship so that so i guess i i would i say all that because data and the passion for you know consumer data has always been in like my heart and soul like it's how i start everything how i think about everything um and at the nba i would say it was it was an amazing opportunity because it was complete white sheet of paper so the nba hadn't contemplated too much at the league office related to consumer data the teams obviously there's 30 nba teams right including the trailblazers and the golden state warriors etc who absolutely obsess data in their local market because they use it obviously for season ticket holders and to sell tickets into the arena. Um, but if you think about it, the league was sitting on so many more consumer touch points from NBA.com to the NBA app to League Pass. So people who are consuming the game uh, virtually, right? Um, and then not to mention, think about like global fans outside the US who are never gonna be in an arena seeing a game. And so my job was really thinking about like how do we how is the sum greater than the individual parts and how could we start to put it together in a way that would really benefit our teams um, and benefit the nba more holistically and it was super fun because um there was nothing like there was no there was no technology there was really no people and no process and so i got to really start to build that from the ground up um, starting with, you know, some of the basics of the consumer data foundation or, you know, colloquially, the industry calls it the CDP or the consumer data platform. Um, so what is the single instance by which, you know, we actually have all of our um, consumer records and, and we're really looking very deeply at those records of fans that we have and how enriched is that database? How good is it? How do we use it? um and yeah it was it was awesome some of my earliest experiments actually were with the portland trailblazers where you know we were able to do like a blind match a little you know with their database and the league's database and and it was so eye-opening because we we found that actually there was very little overlap meaning that the end the league office was sitting on a lot of incremental um, fans of the Portland Trailblazers that the Trailblazers didn't know about because they're not sort of in the local, um, you know, Portland DMA. And so there began kind of um, uh, really a program that I think has been built out over time to uh, sort of solidify that integration, start using it for, you know, consumer relationship management and really thinking about all of the ways from merchandising um to ticket sales to um to content consumption you know all of the various ways that fans around the world want to integrate with the nba how could we really um use this data to make that experience richer and richer that sounds like a really comprehensive way to look at data especially since you said i think it was the first of its kind at the nba um so this kind of so kind of leads into the next question looking to the future 
what growth opportunities do you see, see for both the NBA and Nike in, let's say, the, the next five to 10 years? Hmm. You know, it sounds cliche because I know we say it every year, but like this notion of consumer control and consumer wanting what they want, when they want, how they want it, you know, that continues to absolutely astound me. Right. And that those um, that relationship that consumers want with a brand like Nike and the NBA, it's such a privilege because they want more and more and more. You know, it's not like, um, you know, there are a lot of other brands where I feel like you have to hustle a little bit, you know, um, to to get the consumer to think about you. But I would say that, you know, there's a saying at the NBA that we're or sorry, at Nike, rather, that we're only limited, you know, we're only as limited by our capabilities because consumers want to be in a very deep relationship with Nike, which is an incredible privilege. Um, our job is to make sure that we are really showing up for them again, where they want it, how they want it, and that it's, you know, incredibly personalized and relevant to their lives. And, you know, as, as you guys know, that life changes over the course of a lifetime, right? Like what you need when you're in graduate school is very, very different than, you know, when you're married with two kids. And so, you know, how do we ensure that we are keeping Nike top of mind um, for, you know, so many different generations and each of them having very, very different needs in terms of um, participating in sport. Um, and so we think about that a lot. And that means really, you know, being available in different platforms um, than, than perhaps, you know, you used to be when, when the ecosystems were so much more kind of contained and kind of offline. Um, it also means for us, you know, really exploiting this physical fleet of doors that we have around the world, you know, coming out of COVID to Maya's question, like people are starved for, you know, some return to humanity um, and people to people interaction, which I love. There's so much magic in that. Um, so this whole notion of like digital versus physical, I feel like is a whole is very old school because it's about like, how do you digitize the physical um, in a way that is superhuman, is very relevant, but that when the person walks out of the store, they can continue that relationship digitally. And so um, there's a lot of work in terms of how do we how do we digitize? How do we recognize you even in, in our, our physical fleet so that we can serve you? in a much more kind of personalized and integrated way. I think that's an, another theme that is definitely top of mind for us. I'm going a little and you know, here. Uh, then the last thing I was going to say that I just thought of is like, if you think about the definition of sport, which this one I'm like really happy about, is that, you know, it used to be that like, you know, sport meant these, you know, almost very masculine, like hardcore, you know, you got to go run a marathon or you have to be a bodybuilder, you know? Um, and now sport means all of these things, right? Everything from like meditation to yoga to dance, you know, like, and so that is another huge opportunity for Nike as we think about kids, as we think about women, um, is really how do we expand our definition of sport? It, it, it all sounds so amazing. And I feel like there's so many things to consider looking at, at the years ahead um, and all the opportunities. As you said, it's such a great position to be in uh, where your consumers, you know, you are top of mind for your consumers. Um, I'm wondering, 
something you can share. I'm sure a lot of things are very top secret, but something that's really exciting you these days that you're working on or that's coming up ahead um, in particular. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, just going back to my remit specifically, it's been incredibly fun sort of watching us turn on new technology and capabilities, but then really having the people and process integrated, like I said, the operators ready to catch a lot of this new way, new ways of working. Um, and as I mentioned to Peter, like we do everything so that we're really testing and measuring, you know, qualitatively and quantitatively. And for me, like seeing the juice of consumers responding, um, you know, we're starting to see a lot of incremental engagement um, and incremental demand um, as a result of our efforts. And so that's been incredibly fun. You know, for me, the speed to market and actually watching how consumers react to the change um, has been one of the most exciting parts of, of our journey. Um, you know, I think the other one is, you know, we've had some really amazing sport moments in the last year, whether that's, you know, Serena retiring or, you know, LeBron hitting the all-time record for points and just, again, being able to turn on that one-to-one -one interaction with our members and celebrate those moments and connect them to those athletes is a very special thing. Amazing. Um, so just shifting gears back to uh, a few more personal questions about you and your career. Um, the sports and sports apparel industries have historically and in a lot of areas still been dominated by men. How have you navigated these dynamics and ensured that your voice has been heard in the, and that you've been in the right rooms? Oh my God, it's a very topical question. I, you know, I, I think I'm still working on that to tell you the truth, but I'm determined, I'm determined around it. Um, I definitely feel those dynamics. Um, you know, I hadn't thought so much about whether it's the industry or, you know, as you get more senior in your career, sadly, you do feel like there's less and less women um, and, and frankly, less diversity. And that's something that I think about a ton. Um, you know, in terms of what I do about it, I think one thing that I'm extremely passionate about is just um, bringing up those sort of behind me and with me. So I have a lot of really magnificent people that I've worked with at, at Amex who then followed me the NBA and now and now at at Nike, same thing. And so getting to work with people that you have a history with that you really want to groom and um, take an investment in and sort of watch what they can do has been exciting. So for me, I've gotten to build this team from scratch, which you don't get to do often in your career. But what that meant is I thought very, very hard about diversity, you know, whether that was race, gender, um, definitions of marketing. So back to our earlier conversation, consumer data is is so core to marketing right but it was still very sort of nascent to us so bringing in a lot of net new skill sets um has been incredibly gratifying for me and sort of really watching the interaction of that diversity and i see it kind of paying off in the day-to-day -day work has been really important i think the other thing personally is just you know continuing to get comfortable in my own skin which is something that i think you know, to a certain extent, I still struggle with, you know, like there's a certain element of wanting to fit into a culture and making sure the culture doesn't reject you. But at the same time, the older you get, 
and the platform that you have, it's very important that you are changing culture too. Um, and so I think about that balance often and I try to take some calculated risks to make sure that um, I am using my voice in every way that I can to uh, enable the change that we want and to continue the progression. Um, and, you know, I'd say the last thing is just drawing on, you know, great women and people of color that I've worked for in the past um, and sort of watching how they handle situations or sort of asking and seeking advice on, um, you know, when they felt like they weren't at the table or in the room. Um, but I think it's something that the more we give voice to and the more we talk about, the more things change. Definitely. Yeah, it's such an important topic um, and something that's not talked about enough. So thanks for sharing your experience. Um, if you could take a step back, uh, you mentioned kind of how diversity was probably better at the more junior levels. Um, if you could go back to your MBA education, um, you know, Maya and I are both graduating in a couple of months. So we're wondering how your MBA education um, contributed to your career and what has set you up for success in your career. Mm. So I did my Stern MBA part-time actually. And uh, I was at Colgate Palmolive when I started and I was with American Express when I finished. And the experience was so cool. Like, honestly, I think part of me thought, okay, I, you know, I need to get my MBA. And I remember my mom, like, you have to do this before you get married. You're going to have no time after you get married. And so I kind of think I went into it like, okay, I need to add this to my resume and but I'm going to go at night and it's going to, you know, I'm just going to go to class, check the box, you know, finish. And instead I met like these wonderful executives from so many different industries who, you know, some of them were just starting out in their careers or um, some of them had been, you know, in these careers for quite some time and were making changes to them. Um, or they were, you know, really invested in what they were doing, but wanted this MBA to sort of like round them out or add to their experience. And so I had the most magnificent experience and I met so many wonderful colleagues, you know, despite it being part time and at night, um, we became like a really tight knit community, I would say, over a period of time. And um, I think the thing that I loved most about the experience is that I was able to take what I was learning and I would literally walk into the office the next day and, and sometimes be able to put things into practice, whether that was, you know, sort of technical skills or the softer leadership side. I was actually able to test some things out um, through the workplace, which I found, you know, incredibly valuable. Um, and, you know, when I look back on my time, you know, for me, I also, I had a marketing undergrad degree. And so I felt really strongly going to Stern that I wanted to, you know, continue my passion for marketing, but I also really wanted to lean into finance and really understand uh, the financial components of a lot of the the work that I was doing on a, on a day in, day out basis. And so I leaned into the finance program as well and was able to really marry those things up, which, you know, I hadn't really thought about, but like, it definitely, I am definitely an art science person. Like I'm equally data and quant, but I love sort of the artistic creative side of things too. And I think that, um, I think the MBA for me, like really honed in on both of those things. 
So we have a lot of people that would see your career as the dream career, <laughs> um, both at Stern and beyond, I'm sure. What advice do you have for students who are interested in pursuing a career like yours? You know, there's this, I think the two adages that come to mind, which are both a bit eye rolling is, you know, one is the whole marathon, not a sprint. Um, and the other one is that your career is not linear. And both of those are, you know, a bit stale in terms of being said, but they're also, frankly, incredibly true. So, um, you know, for me, I took a lot of risks, you know, at American Express, as an example, it was very much of a like a marketing company. And, uh, you know, I spent I started my career in marketing, but then I took a couple of really wayward moves, one into consumer operations and customer care, which is basically where people, you know, call voice response or speak to, uh, you know, a representative. And at the time that I made that move, I think people were like, this is not good for your career. You know, like, oh, this is where people retire. Um, not, you know, not somebody young who's ambitious. And I did that very clearly because I really believed in the leadership that had moved into that group. I wanted to be really close to the consumer, back to my passion. I wanted to understand that last mile interaction. Um, and it was, you know, it was a time of transformation. And I'll tell you, that job has stayed with me. Like I will, I will forever be a different marketer uh, for having had that experience. But it's not one that like is a traditional one, I would say, for some people who are sort of like, okay, you know, what's the next phase up sort of thing. Um, but, you know, that kind of led to a lot of great experience. And it was the first time I was able to apply technology to what a representative would see in terms of the last mile with the consumer and the, how they could have a much more meaningful interaction, you know, so I was able to work on taking them from like these terrible green screens to actually like meaningful information on a consumer's mood and their inquiry and their profile. And it was like rapid transformation in terms of, um, you know, doubling our net promoter score, returning the company back into the echelon of great service companies. And we put ourselves on the map and that kind of led then into, okay, how do we digitize? You know, how do we move consumers at a time when digital transformation was happening from phone calls and voice response into chat and, um, and apps. And so, you know, I was able to take that and then move into the digital world and that opened up like a whole new set of experiences. So I guess my first piece of advice is like, you know, sometimes those opportunities that seemingly, you know, don't seem all that exciting or are a bit unconventional can be like the most transformative of your life. And I think you have to listen to your inner voice. And while you can talk to a lot of people, you have to have a core group of people and you got to sort of believe in yourself in terms of you know, how you think about that next step. I think the second one is it's never an experience where you're constantly like going up. I think there are times when, you know, if you're very humble, you're thinking about how do I add to my skill set? When are those times that I want to take a lateral opportunity to learn something completely net new that I didn't know versus when are the times when I'm ready to step up to the next level? Um, you know, a title is not everything. It kind of wears off after a week or two. So I would say, you know, be careful what you wish for. Um, 
is the second thing. And, and the third thing is just, you know, spend a lot of time really getting specific about what you're good at and what you love and equally and probably more important what you don't like what actually depletes you what does not bring you joy what are you not good at and i say those things because you shouldn't be focused on how to make them better you should be focused on you know what are those those things that you're not good at and how do you bring folks sort of around you and working for you who are really fantastic at that back to the the diversity point um, I am somebody who believes in like nurturing your strengths um, and sort of everybody has them, but it's a matter of, can you be really honest about what those strengths are and how you're going to hone them over time and get better and better versus, you know, trying to adjust your weaknesses, which I think is, um, is sometimes a fool's errand. I love that. I need that advice. I'm definitely going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we all do. <laughs> Um, we have one final question that's a little, I guess it's somewhat related to the way your um, career has evolved. So you've mentioned using data a few times. Um, data seems like it's all the rage in the economy and the media um, here at Stern. There are several data classes now, um, I'm guessing more so than there used to be. Um, but as you rise in the ranks, um, what data skills do you still find yourself using now that you're a senior executive? It's a great question. Um, I think that for me, um, and I, you know, I'm still a little bit, I do think this is part of my strength is that I can sort of look at the top line KPIs of the company, you know, from a demand and a revenue perspective um, and understand the trends at that level. But I'm equally versed at kind of going deep into what are those leading indicators and KPIs and performance indicators. Because um, at the end of the day, for me, things like driving, um, you know, driving people to buy more, to increase their basket size, or to come to Nike multiple times in a year, that's an outcome. Um, but what I try to focus on is like, what are the inputs to get to those outcomes? So for example, if, if I'm the person who's specifically focused on, you know, running email campaigns, um, what are the things that I need to be focused on? You know, um, how do I think about, you know, engagement with the content, click through rates, um, opt out rates, you know, what are consumers saying about like how often I'm engaging with them Is the content, right? Is the time of day, right? Um, so for me, it's really about honing in on like some of those KPIs and really making sure that I'm embedding them inside the organization in a way that it is such a cross-functional offense at Nike, Peter. Like when they say cross-functional, it's like an understatement. So it is very, very important that people understand how those how those key performance indicators actually ladder up into the outcomes of the company. So I spend a lot of time actually making sure that our ultimate KPIs, consumer engagement, consumer demand, those are the ones that we all share. And then we've got different roles to play, if that makes sense, that have different KPIs associated with them that ladder up into those outcomes. Um, and some of them we don't know, right? Some of them we have to hypothesize and kind of test our way into. Um, but I spend a lot of time actually thinking about the one level deeper around what are, what are the you know, what is the thread that you need to string between your people 
to make sure that again, we are kind of handing off the baton as if we're in a relay. Um, we cross the line together when we're in front of the consumer. And then the outcomes in terms of how the consumer votes, whether that's you know with their click or their engagement or their spend, that's the outcome for all of us. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's sort of like how I spend a lot of my time, I think, is, is focused on that type of um, scorecard and that type of um, engagement that we need to have because otherwise, you know, it's human nature, but it's very easy for people to get siloed into whatever part of the company that they work on. You know, um, if you're, you know, if you're in engineering, you don't want the engineer just saying, okay, check the box. I, I built this piece of software. I'm done, right? You want that engineer also completely engaged in whether his operators are using those tools, if he's getting adoption, if it's easy for them to use, you know, that type of threading becomes, if you can get it right, becomes a really magical thing inside a very large organization. Well, thanks for the insight. Um, I think that about does it for our questions, um, but we really appreciate you spending time with us today. Um, so yeah, thank you for joining us and it was great to chat with you. Very fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you.